Hello and welcome to the Moonshots Podcast. It's episode 41. I am your co-host, Mike Parsons, and as always, I'm joined by the man from Brooklyn, yes, Mr. Chad Owen. Good morning, Brooklyn. Good evening, Sydney. And boy, Chad Owen, I thought I was busy, but it sounds like you have been traversing the United States of America, here, there, and everywhere. What's been going on? Oh, you know, just... uh Visiting all of my clients on the West Coast, I'm fortunate enough to work with some really great companies out there. But I hear you're going on a European tour here too. Yes, the the fun never stops. We got things cooking away here in Sydney. Uh, thankfully, the rugby season is over, so I'm just like immersed in work at the moment. I got a big Bucharest Amsterdam tour coming up. Going to see the Qualitans team. We're going to see the Gradient team. It's going to be so much fun. Lots of talks. Lots of innovation masterclasses it's pretty pretty action-packed I've, I've been working the keynote chad all week just getting everything ready and i think you have got a drop on our audience uh a very special show we've got coming up i i am super pumped for this one yeah so I, probably one of the things that you do on all of your various travels is is lug some uh some books around that's partly you know some of the inspiration for this author's series but I actually discovered this person via some YouTube clips of some talks that he had given. And so if you haven't checked out Simon Sinek and some of the TED Talks and 99U talks that he has given, that is who we are going to be unpacking and breaking down and learning from on today's show. Yeah. And do you remember when you first came across that really famous talk he gave on the power of why and how he applied it to Apple. Do you remember seeing that one for the first time? Yeah, and it, the budding marketer in me really, really enjoyed that because I think, yeah, the power of the question of why uh, mm. is so immense. And I think he was able to directly relate it to business in a way that I hadn't necessarily seen uh, done before. Yeah, I think we can't overstate the influence of his first major book, Start With Why, and how it, I mean, everyone in the marketing, communications, and consultancy world just was like reusing this framework because it's just so damn simple and so powerful. And we're going to get into that in this show. And this guy, Simon Sinek, is so prolific. We're very fortunate. We've got a ton of good uh, clips of him speaking, and we're going to be able to unpack and decode what he's talking about, work out how we can apply it. And the other critical thing here that that I really want to stress is, Chad, we're not only going to be del- delving into the world of the Start With Why book, but he also wrote an amazing book called Leaders Eat Last. And I found both books would, I- I'm going to have to say both books would be in my top 10 ever business books. I don't know how, what, mm. what are you feeling? Did you get a chance to peruse Leaders Eat Last? I did. Yeah, that's actually an, an interesting question. I, I would have to go back through and see all of the books I've read and try to rank them. I don't, yeah, I don't know that I have maybe quite uh, formulated a ranking of my, my books yet, but so that might be an interesting exercise this winter. Mm, definitely. And obviously, uh, we chose Simon Sinek because he's very different to 
Clay Christensen, who's very cerebral, probably a dash of the academic. Peter Drucker is just like he defined management, you know, if you will. Simon Sinek, I feel like what he does so particularly well, why he really matters is he's really tuned into the behaviors that we have, not only at work and in life. And I find him one of the best storytellers we've ever studied on the show, don't you, Chan? Yeah, he opens all of his talks with really gripping, amazing stories. Like, I actually don't ever really remember the names of the talks or even necessarily sometimes like the book or something that he's referencing, but his the opening stories that he tells are super memorable. Like, I, I know like specifically the, the story he tells in, in front of the leaders eat last presentations or, or keynotes that he gives is, you know, around this, um, this A-10 warthog Air Force plane that's in support of troops in Afghanistan. It's just, yeah, I mean, it's just the way, as you're saying, the way he kind of relates it to our personal and human experience is an, is, is a very nice contrast to the previous, you know, authors that we've been doing in this series. Mm-hmm. And he's like, he's a bit mm-hmm. of a provocateur too. Like he's in this first clip that we have to kind of introduce him, you know, he's, he is not just taking things at face value and he's kind of asking us to, to question mm. uh, a few things. Yeah, absolutely. Why don't you just let it rip? This is uh, Simon Sinek. And what we're going to hear from him is, you know, his thoughts on what really is innovation. How do you define innovation? Well, I mean, a definition I like is the application of technology to solve human problems. Um, I know that not all innovation is about technology. I know that. Um, but I like that if we have a very broad definition of, of innovation. Why does that register so well with you? Because the, the important part to me is the solving of human problems. Um, just because we can do something doesn't mean we should do something. And I think especially in the technology world, we become obsessed with the fact that we can, not that we should. Um, and we call innovation where it's really nonsense. I mean, for example, um, do you remember when, if you wanted to watch, um, if you needed a projector, you used to pull the string down to get the screen down? Like, what problem were they solving getting rid of the string? You know, now everything has a button. And by the way, those buttons and those motors break all the time. I don't ever recall that string being a problem. And yet we feel the need because we can put motors and buttons on things that we should put a motor and button on that. It's like you look at a Toyota Prius and everything is touchscreen. So if you're following the GPS and the phone rings, you lose the GPS. (laughs) Or if you want to change the temperature, you know, or if you want to, you have to hit four screens to turn, what happened with knobs and buttons? Like, what's wrong with turning up the volume like this for your radio? Like, what human problem are we solving? The answer is we're not solving any human problems. That's the problem with that kind of technology. It's pointless. One of the best pieces of innovation I've seen lately is my toaster, which is, um, and I bought my toaster specifically for this feature, which is you push a toaster down to make a toast and then it pops up. And my toaster, you can lift the button up and it lifts the toast out so you don't have to go picking it out with a fork or a knife. That's innovation. That's the application of some sort of technology or engineering in this case to solve a human problem. And uh, I think just because we can do things, whether engineers or technologists or on the internet, doesn't mean that we necessarily should. And uh, if you have the capacity to do something big, make sure you're solving a real problem that exists, not something that doesn't. I have more respect for my toaster than I do a Toyota Prius. I love it. You know, Chad, I'm just now thinking, as he said, that I'm thinking about my toaster and we literally have a wooden uh, sort of chopstick construction to help pick the toast out because my toaster doesn't do what his does. It's crazy, isn't it? It's like, (laughs) 
uh, I don't know how long in, uh, toasters have been around, but but why is it so hard to to do that? And I'm, I'm forever burning the toast, even to this very day. It really does call into question: for what purpose are we innovating? Doesn't it? Yeah, I I love this idea of nonsense innovation that he that he kind of calls out here. I. I would hope that everyone that we've profiled so far on the show doesn't really uh, fit into that that qualification. But I, I know that you and I could could look around us and in our pre- previous experiences and see a lot of mm. nonsense innovation out there. Yeah, and 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 it, as you said, it really points to how he challenges us, makes us think twice, perhaps ask why. And I think that's really the the power of of what we have in store of us install for us uh, for the rest of the show. So um, one, one side note, uh, please, everyone, if you want to follow the links to the books or get more information about Simon Sinek or any of the other authors that we've covered, head off to moonshots.io and you can get everything you need. Now, Chad, we've got a whole bunch of clips coming up here all around this kind of theme of life hacking and challenging how we think and feel and behave at work. Where do you want to start this delve into the world of Simon Sinek? Yeah, well, and, and don't forget the second block where we really get into S- Simon on leadership, which I think is one of his strongest suits and where he, where he has has the most to say. But where so his book, you know, start with why kind of begins at the individual and kind of expands to your organization, and then his second book, Leaders Eat Last, really kind of takes it from a from the kind of organization and kind of company point of view. But um, so I, I think we can start with the, the core, the genesis of this why idea and, and, and Simon really just kind of helping us figure out how to find fulfillment in the work that we're doing. Essentially like, you know, putting a stake in the ground and, and having a why. There's a statistic that over 90% of people uh, go home at the end of the day feeling unfulfilled by their work. This is the difference between liking your job and loving your job. You can like your job, but do you love your job? And over 90% of the people who who work these days don't. Um, And I imagine a world in which that statistic is completely reversed, in which the vast majority of people go home at the end of the day feeling fulfilled by the work that they do, feeling that they've contributed to something bigger bigger than themselves. I've always been a pretty happy-go-lucky guy, but about five years ago, I reached a point in my career where my passion was gone. Um, I stopped loving what I was doing, and I even got to the point where I didn't really like it anymore. And for a happy person, just being unhappy was bad enough. And it was this point in my life that I made this discovery, this thing called the why. Um, And what I learned is that every single organization on the planet, even our own careers, function on three levels. What we do, how we do it, and why we do it. These are the things that we think make us different or special uh, compared to everyone else. But very few of us can clearly articulate why we do what we do. And I don't mean to earn a living or provide for your family. Those are results. Um, By why, I mean what's your purpose, what's your cause, what's your belief. And after I learned my why, I literally stopped telling people what I did and only started telling them what I believed. And not only was my passion restored, but my career and my life changed dramatically and took on an an, an entirely um, uh, new path with, with, with vastly more meaning. Such a powerful set of ideas, asking why, not just looking at what you do, but asking how do you do it and why. I can't tell you, Chad, how many times I've used this 
for myself, uh, for the companies that I've worked in, for the clients I've worked for. I mean, this is right up there. This idea is is right up there with the four hour work week uh, book from Tim Ferriss. This this whole idea of starting with why is really profound for me because it really uncovers the real reasons that we get up in the morning and the real reasons we believe in ourselves and others. You must have, as a storyteller, just thought about this why framework so many times, Chad. I mean, how is, how's it come alive in your life and your work? Yeah, well, and, and uh, you know, I've seen you put it in action in, in real life, Mike, you know, using the, the why framework. So I, I can tell you listeners that Mike's not just saying that he loves us. He, I've, I've seen him do it, you know, live in the room with, with people before. He, he's a true fan. I, it, it's interesting for me because I think as a storyteller, I've kind of intuited this wisdom you know, from Simon for a long time, but maybe hadn't articulated it like, like he does. And he has a very simple framework and even diagram or model where he draws three circles. And in the outermost circle, he puts what you do. And then in the, the next circle in, he puts how you, how you do it. And then in the, the core, the target that he, he, he's up there on the stage and he's kind of like circling and he's, he's marking up the middle of right. this, you know, telling you that it's really the core that matters and and that's the mm. why. And I kind of see it as my goal as the storyteller to really get to that why as quickly as possible and understand that and then once you connect with someone, you know, with their why, then it kind of unlocks everything yes. else yeah. about them. It kind of unlocks the rest of mm. their being. And then yeah, you see them come alive and they become really activated and excited and you can hear it in his voice when he's talking about, you know, being completely disillusioned in what he was, what he was doing. So this is a bit of a challenge I'm going to uh, give to you, Mike. You don't, you don't have to answer it now, but by the end of the episode, mm-hmm. I would like to hear your why. Okay. Only if you agree to do the same. <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, I, I'm kind of cheating because I've actually been doing this work um, on myself uh, a little bit, in, in pre- both in preparation for this episode, um, but also just, you know, for, for my own, uh, de- you know, professional mm. development, uh, as I'm, as I'm building my business. Oh, okay. You, I, I'm totally, I would also totally challenge listeners too, that as you're listening to this episode and learning along with us from, from Simon, yeah, to, you know, there's so much power in just writing it mm. down, uh, your why. Yeah. So that's just something that I wanted to, uh, to, to challenge you on. Uh, this time around, Mike. Mm, love it, love it. Well, you know, this whole journey into using the Y framework ain't easy, is it? And trying to get to the nub of why you do things and then behaving in accordance with that, that's probably, you know, the biggest challenge. And what's so great about Simon Sinek is he's written a lot about not only the Y framework but about leadership, about passion, about how you, not only the end point, but how you get there. And this next clip is him really delving into the world of, of what it really takes to understand courage and what it looks like and feels like, because that's something you're going to call on when you're really trying to be true to why you do things. So let's have a listen now to Simon Sinek on helping us to understand courage. Courage is an external thing, right? So I have met people who literally have courage, 
what we would call courage. They have put their lives on the line. They have thrown themselves into harm's way in order to save the life of someone else. They have done something that we would consider mad, that violates all tenets of survive, you know, that we're supposed to do things to make to survive so that someone else will survive. Courage, real courage. And I've talked to them and I always say, why did you do it? You've got a wife, you've got kids, why would you do that? And they all give me the same answer. Every time. Because they would have done it for me. Because someone else would have done the same for me. It is the absolute confidence that the person to the left and the person to the right will do the same for me. That gives them the courage to do amazing things. This clip is actually really resonating with me because of what's happening. You know, here we are, beginning of October 2018, and there's a real swell of support around the Me Too movement. Mm -hmm. And I don't want to dwell on it because I'm a straight white guy, but I think the fact that because so many other women are beginning to share and open up and we are being receptive to it, that, that courage, I, I, like, I want to be clear, like that is very courageous on, on, on the parts of all of those women. They're able to, to do it just in the same way that, 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 that Simon is, is talking about here. Mm. And I love this idea because it, it, you can see it in the, in the social dynamic, as you have pointed out. But you know what the crazy thing is? You think about teams in the office when you know that someone's got your back because they'd step in to help you when you're in a bind. Or even if you go to the sports field, one of the key things to a defensive system working in, in, in any form of football is that each independent player believes in the other and has the knowledge that the other person would back them up. So that gives them this courage to push forward themselves. And it's so this underlying pattern, sort of almost how life yeah, works. I, it, I think the, the disappointing thing is that probably most organizations don't function in a way where everyone has the confidence to, to know that others are looking out for, for them, you know, above, that they're being selfless and not selfish, because I think it's the, it's the default to be very selfish. Yeah. And without getting too meta here, in the end, the most selfish thing in the world to do is to be unselfish because hmm. you get all the good karma that comes back by putting others first. Isn't that ironic? <laughs> I think also what he's getting at is like the in the incentives and the structures inside of, well, this is pr probably just within capitalism, you know, it's just, it. there's, there's no incentives for the altruistic motives. Yes, it, you know, if yeah. you follow him... If you follow Simon further in his readings and his admonitions to us, like, yeah, it's a bit of a rail against the capitalist system. And he's like, well, actually, strangely enough, like it, if, if you act in this selfless and courageous way, it, it, it actually, you know, leads to higher performing teams and therefore, you know, higher, higher profit. So it's kind of this counterintuitive way to get at, <laughs> to mm. get at that kind of uh, success. Mm. And, and look, in the end, good teams, regardless of the forum, good social dynamics, regardless of the forum, all require just that little bit of selflessness where you just put others before you. And we've talked about 
humble leadership, uh, servant leadership before. And I think he's kind of touching mm-hmm. on this. And, you know, if you want to realize your why, I think having that sort of courage around you and the externalities of that amongst others and what you can do to make that happen is, is what we're learning here. But he hasn't stopped helping us with some tips on how to get the job done, how to be a great leader, how to pursue your why, how to have some positive impact on the world. And I love, I mean, this one, this next thought from Simon is all about the hard thing about hard things, as Ben Horowitz would say. This is all about the stoic in all of us. So uh, let's tune in now to Simon Sinek giving us a very powerful thought around intensity versus consistency. Great culture, no matter where we are, no matter how big the organization, is not about intensity, it's about consistency. You can't get into shape by going to the gym for nine hours. It won't work. But if you work out every single day for 20 minutes, you will absolutely get into shape, right? Intensity is like going to the dentist. It's fixed in time. We know exactly what date we're going. We know how long we're going to be there. And we know that when we come out, our teeth will feel smooth and look pearly. But if that's all we do, all our teeth will fall out. In other words, intensity is not enough. So we're also supposed to brush our teeth twice a day for two minutes in the morning and two minutes in the evening. What does brushing your teeth do for two minutes? Nothing. It does absolutely nothing unless you do it every single day. Can you leave out a day? Sure. How many days can you leave out? I don't really know. How many times do you have to brush your teeth before, before it works? I, I don't know that either. And this is why companies don't do it. Because we like intensity. We like things that are fixed in time and easily measured. We want to make leaders. What do we do? We have a company offsite. We invite a whole bunch of speakers. Everybody gives the event an 8.5 leaders. No. No. We like intensity. How do we fix broken companies? Reorg. New management. Aha. We can see the results. Layoffs. We love it. Look at the savings. Yeah, in the short term. We love intensity for the simple reason that it's easy to measure and we can calculate the day, we can calculate the time, highly predictable. But it's consistency that is the human part. You know, what does it take to fall in love? Buy her flowers, remember her birthday. Important, but if that's all you do, it won't work. It's the little things. Like when you wake up in the morning, you say good morning to her before you check your phone. (laughs) When you get up, To get yourself a drink, you bring one back without asking if they even wanted one. Any one of those things does nothing. It's the accumulation of all of those things done over the course of time repeatedly that one day someone will wake up and go, oh my God, I love you. It's the exact same thing in a company, which is we do these things repeatedly, which is instead of waiting for Charlie to show up at the meeting who's running a few minutes late and we're all just on our phones waiting for Charlie, he's just running, is he here? Just a few more minutes, okay. Oh, Charlie's here, good, let's start the meeting. Instead, we should have no phones in conference rooms ever because you know what happens? We sit in the room and we talk. We go, I heard your mum's in the hospital. Oh, yeah, thanks. No, she's much better. Thanks for asking. Yeah, yeah. And that's called building relationships. What does it do? Nothing. It does nothing. But if you do it on a regular basis over the course of time, what ends up happening is you discover that you trust your colleagues, that you love your boss, that you believe the core of your being, that if something is wrong, that they will be there for you. And what starts to happen is you start to be willing to be vulnerable. Vulnerable doesn't mean walking around crying. That's not what it means. What vulnerable means is I'm willing to raise my hand and say, I made a mistake. I'm not qualified for the job that you gave me. I don't know what I'm doing. 
without any fear that by revealing those things will you be humiliated or fired. And here's the joke. It's good for business. Yeah, it's actually the smallest things, but done consistently over time that makes the big difference. I know, I know. And and Chad, it just takes me to the metaphors of going to the gym, eating healthy, good sleep routine. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, right? because I think, yeah, we'll we'll get burnt out otherwise. And it's fascinating to me too, like how similar you know an organization or or a company is to to us humans. You know, we kind of sometimes think of corporations as these kind of cold, personalityless entities at times. But like in the same way that it's very hard for humans to do the consistent things, like you know, brush our teeth, as as Simon says. It's also very hard for the corporations to to do the same. And I've he, he talks about I've been at offsites and I've been at I've been, I've been working with companies that have gone through or are going through reorganizations. And you know the leadership does think that that will be the silver bullet. When if you actually just talk to the individuals, they're like, "Yeah, my boss doesn't listen to me." It's like, oh, if the boss just listened to the person once a week. <laughs> even <laughs> or or said right. good job right. once a week oh don't even get me started F- feedback is like crucial to people thriving and engaging in a corporation yeah but how many times have we been doing work and never once been recognized looked in the eye yeah. and said mike thank you for the work that you did this Im- you know this is the impact that it had yeah like it should not be the exception to the rule that's right. But, you know, people are so preoccupied with the things that they're battling. They forget others need some some consistent, being the key word here, feedback. I'm interested, Chad, like if, if you were to reflect on how you keep consistent on the things that matter, do you have any tips or suggestions on how to keep these positive, consistent habits regardless of work or at home, how do you kind of keep your consistency? How do you strive to keep the good stuff happening? I'm trying to think if, if I want to go like the super tactical or, or not. And I have, um, I, I don't even know what the name of the app is, but I have an app on my phone where really all you can do is, you know, create a check mark on a day or not. And so for, for you know, for me, it's, you know, did I get my physical activity today or not? And I calculate that and, a lot of different ways. You know, sometimes I bike, sometimes I go to the gym, sometimes mm-hmm. I do a lot of walking, but then I just have the whole, you know, 30 day view of the calendar and I can see, oh, you know, it's mostly full or it's totally full, like great. <laughs> um, or there's long stretches of emptiness and then I'm like, ooh, I've, <laughs> I've kind of fallen <laughs> behind. But if you just like search on Google, like for don't break the chain, You'll probably come across a story about how Jerry Seinfeld talks about, you know, writing one joke every day, regardless of whether it was good or not, and how yeah. he put a big red yeah. mark on his calendar when he did. And that was really what kind of kept him going, you know, as he was struggling in the in the small time, you know, comedy sellers. But I think, you know, it just a simple of did I do it today or didn't I do it today is how I do do a lot of that that tracking. Yeah, yeah. I'm exactly the same. I have this crazy, this is going to show you how a bit intense I can be about productivity. 
I actually set as a recurring daily task. Let me count here. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven things are daily recurring tasks, which are my essential habits that I have to do consistently every day. So everything from this sleep well, work out, deliver one high value deliverable per day. Like I said, so one thing I deliver has to be a big chunk. Burn 3,000 uh, KJs in active energy. Eat well, write my goals, listen to a podcast, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. I actually basically t- task the things I do every day and I just have to mark them as either done or not done. And do you know, it is such a great way of just forcing myself to have these consistent habits. And I would say like two of those that really stand out is I have a to-do, I have a task every day to write my journal and to work out. And I can't tell you, those two things keep me so on track with work. Just like the energy I get from working out and the clarity of mind I get from journaling, essential tips to consistency. Yeah, well, um, I will find the the name of the app, and we can put that in the show notes for for everyone. There's Simon does a great job of kind of contrasting two very different ideas and telling stories around them. And so I'll just want to jump into this next clip where he's talking about being nervous versus being excited. I was also watching the Olympics, and. This is what I, I, I realized this when I was watching the London Olympics, so a couple Olympics ago. And I was annoyed by how all the journalists asked all the athletes the same stupid question, literally everyone. Were you nervous? Or are you nervous? Whether it was before or after the event. Every single time. And every single time, all the athletes gave the exact same answer. No, I was excited. No, I'm excited. Every single time. These elite athletes had learned to interpret body stimulus. What, is, what are the signs of nervousness? Your heart races, you visualize the future, you clam, your hands get clammy. What's the, what are the stimulus for excitement? Your heart races, you visualize the future, your hands get clammy. They had learned to interpret what their body was telling them, not as nerves, but as excitement. And the reason the journalists said, were you nervous, is because they would be nervous. Athletes would never say that to each other. They say, that was exciting. So I tried it. I did a little test on myself, right? I'm on a plane. We start hitting some really bad turbulence. I go, (gasps) and then I say to myself, literally out loud, this is exciting. (laughs) And I was fine. And I was fine. So I do it a lot now. When I find myself getting nervous, I say to myself, this is so exciting, and I'll explain the reason to myself why. So, like an actor, you don't get nervous when you go on stage anymore, but occasionally you do. So I get to go on stage a lot, and I don't really get nervous much anymore, but I was going to present to 3,000 chiefs of police right in the middle of all this police brutality uh, uh, hullabaloo. And I got really nervous because the stakes were really high, you know? And I was literally getting nervous backstage. And I said to myself, this is so exciting. I have an opportunity to talk to a group of people who can actually affect change in this country. This is really exciting. Now, I could have said the same thing. I'm so nervous. I'm about to talk to people who can... 
but the interpretation was excitement. Just change the narrative. It works brilliantly well. So the big question I have for you, Chad, is we all face this nervous versus, versus excited dilemma. Do you have any... How do you make that transition? Have you tried to make that transition? Uh, because it's so true, isn't it? It's so easy to shift between these two states. How do you try and be excited and rather than nervous and sweaty and uh. well i i actually have a word for this like nervous sighted or nervous excitement <laughs> i i've conflated the uh, the ideas before i think be, because he's so right it's just it's though they're kind of on at on other sides of like the you know the edge of the blade and you can kind of fall one way or the other where I geek out in this is nervousness and excitement are self narratives and it, mm. you know, not to get all Tony Robbins on you, but like it, it is just a mindset shift, uh, mm. to, to change one into the other. And I don't want to gloss over. I think the most powerful part of Simon's hack here is he said it out loud. The the physical embodiment of saying, "Oh, this is exciting." That is how you like flip the switch from nervousness nervousness to excitement. So, like someone like Tony Robbins, who may have in his prior life gotten very nervous before going out in front of a a group of four hundred people yeah. to to change their lives, mm. he's jumping on a trampoline behind behind the stage, like to, to embody that excitement, you know, like to get going and, and get excited. Um, Rev the engines. Yeah. So I think that, um, yeah, just that, that simple reframe, um, is really powerful. It, it's, it's so interesting to me too, because again, as, as a storyteller, like, yeah, it, it, there's some nuance there, but yeah, you just have to begin to tell yourself a different story and it can be very, very different experiences. Yeah, I, I would just add one thing on that, which is the way I shift from being nervous to excited, a thing that you can do other than just changing your mental frame is be prepared. Mm. Because when you give a talk, if you spent time writing it out, rehearsing it, it's so much easier to embody excitement and to know that you've got something really good, really polished to offer the audience. And I would say the metaphor is, again, the same with sport. We all know when we're walking out on a game and we're not prepared, you feel it, and that's why you're nervous. But if you're fit, strong, got a good team plan, you've got each other's backs, that's when you know, hey, guys, I'm pumped. I'm excited. I, I want to do this. And so I think preparation would be a big tip to give our listeners here. This is how you can make that shift from nervous to excited. And I think that all of this kind of takes place in a sort of a, in a bigger field. I think getting excited is easier to do when you love what you do. And to wrap up this whole first half of the show, I think it's really important for us to remember that you've got to go back to your why and make sure that whatever you're doing really supports that because then as we've talked about, you can have the courage you can bring the consistency to the game, but you can also make this shift from nervous to excited. So I think to kind of frame this whole life hacking advice that Simon has for us, 
I think that's really the flow that we want our listeners to get into. So before we jump into our book review and we go over into the leadership world, I think it's really important that the courage, consistency, and excitement all starts with knowing why you're on the planet, what gets you up, what drives everything you do, how can you bring it all back to one thing. So I feel like Simon has given us a lot to chew on there. I mean, you know, you you have placed that challenge uh, to to me, and and it's so funny. Even though I think about it a lot when you're like, oh, Michael, what are you doing? You're like, ooh, you know, it is. It's a big meal to digest, isn't it, Chad? Yeah, and it's ever it's ever changing. But yeah, let's um let's hear what uh, Simon has to say on the subject. Passion is not an actionable word. It's correct, you know, that those who do the things that they're passionate about do better, but it's not helpful advice. Um, and so the question is, where does passion come from? Um, passion is a result. Passion is an energy. Um, passion is the feeling you have when you're engaged in something that you love. Passion is the feeling you have that um, you would probably do this for free, you know, and you can't believe somebody pays you to do it, you know. Um, and I think we mistake that passion is something we do in our private lives, but it shouldn't be done, you know, in our careers, for example. And I'm a firm believer that you are who you are. And anybody who says I'm different at home than I am at work, in one of those two places, you're lying. And the goal is to make everything you do in home and at work something that you have excitement to do. So how do you find the things that you're excited to do? Well, it's actually easier than you think. What are the things that you love to do? What are the things that you would do for free? You know, how can you recreate that feeling and and be paid for it? So what are the things that I do on the weekend, right? I love, um, I'm very involved in the art world. I love to go to museums and galleries, but I love to go see uh, dance and performances because I want to see how others are, are interpreting the world. So that inspires me. New ideas, new thoughts, new ways of looking at the world are, are things that interest me privately and I seek it out and pay money for it, right? So does that mean I have to have a career in the arts? No, it means I have to have a career where new ideas are explored, where people are experimenting and trying things out, and I have to explore new ideas and try things out, and I'm just as excited to go to work every day as I am to you know, go do something on a Saturday night. Um, and so the idea of finding your passion is ironically simple because you should be doing stuff that you enjoy sometimes. What is the stuff that you enjoy? And then what is the stuff that you love? Who are the people that you love and what, are those, what do they all have in common? What I would offer to our audience here is the greatest litmus test of finding your passion is would you go to your office and do your work for free? I think, Chad, I think that is such a great challenge and you don't have to say yes, yes, of course, of course. Maybe you go, hmm, some bits. And the great question from that was, well, which bits and how can you do more of them? But I love this idea. There's no difference between work you home you. It's mm -hmm. just you and you should be doing the stuff you love. And I cannot tell you this has been such a big thing in, in my quest in life. Uh, and since I read his book is to do what I love and to try and get my work as close to being things that I would do for free because they bring me so much joy, satisfaction. Sure, they can be hard. I don't always like it day to day, but boy, do I love the mission. How, Chad, how have you got to doing your passion? You made a huge switch in your time at college. I mean, how did, how do you follow your passion? How do you keep on track with that? 
Well, it's, it's interesting because I, I was a super nerd <laughs> in my younger years, <laughs> uh, very into the, you know, math Hang on, hang on. You just built your own PC. You're trying to tell me that's changed? <laughs> well, yeah, that's true. Um, <laughs> I guess I still am. But um, yeah, no, I, I, was, I was very into, you know, math and science, STEM, uh, although, you know, it wasn't called that back when, when I was in school. The... And I still think that I could find some real interest and passion in that work. I just don't think maybe I'm quite smart enough to do to do it anymore, at least in that way. Um, mm-hmm. But I think, yeah, it was one class, it was one teacher, and that that really transformed. I think like my my understanding of what my possible futures could be. I was like, oh, that's what I want to do. Like, I want to tell stories. I want to. I want to connect with people and, and, and help them share their stories. And I'm giving a, I'm giving a little bit of my why away here. Mm, Uh, I feel it. (laughs) Actually, I'll just, I'll just go ahead and state it. I've, I've recently written it down, but I am on a mission to accelerate the pace of innovation by sharing stories from the frontier of work and culture. Hmm. From the frontier, Chad Owen, boy, that is expansive. (laughs) And tell me how much, how many times did you have to think and write that through? Like, what did it take to get there? Oh, it's still cha- it's still changing. It might yeah. change this afternoon. <laughs> <laughs> but no, it's it was a really it was a really great exercise um, for me to go through. And you know, preparing for this show kind of re inspired me to to revisit it. You know, you'll notice that innovation, <laughs> in that keyword is is mm-hmm. is in the title. You know, like you and I are showing up and podcasting. We're not getting paid. Like we're, I see this podcast as directly connected to my, my why, right. To accelerate the the pace of innovation by sharing stories. Like that's what we're doing right now. Yeah. I My clients. Yeah. You know, it's, it's, it's fun for me to see like the, my why is both kind of from within me, but it's also like, I'm looking at what I have done and have been doing and also crafting my why around the best parts of what I'm doing. And so this is maybe kind of how, like, I mean, I just want to call it out, Mike, you and I are so fortunate Mm. to be in the positions that we are to work in our passions. Mm. Um, But many people aren't or are struggling to figure out how to do it. And I would just, you know, in reflecting in how I've kind of come into stating this why, like, I would just advise people to look at the best parts of 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 their work experience yep. and their their mm-hmm. personal experience and like make a list it's like oh this is where i really come alive and this is where i'm really activated and really impassioned and then you know begin to craft your why statement around that and then just do more of it you know as best as you can and um oftentimes you know you have that opportunity in your workplace Sometimes you have to try to actively transform your your work, and then others you you have to leave that work behind and and move on. But yeah, that was um, yeah. that that's been my experience uh, in in crafting my own why. And I think just having the fortitude to really go and ask why, and that almost will set you on the course. I mean, Chad, I would propose that if you re- if any of our listeners go about this exercise of asking what they do, how they do, why they do it, and reflect on it just a little bit, it's almost a self-fulfilling prophecy. I feel like you, you, once you go, oh, my gosh, yes, 
then you just get on the freight train. You just get going, don't you? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that everyone should pick up Start With Why. But like, like you, Mike, it, it, it's certainly in the top of my, my, reading, my reading list, but I can wholeheartedly recommend it to, like, to everyone. My mom, my, you know, my brother, my, <laughs> like every, everyone, the person that sits, sits next yeah. to me in the, in the co-working space, strangers on the subway. I think be, because he gives us a really easy to understand and, and simple uh, framework to begin to discover our why. I, I won't say it's easy, but the, the framework is simple. You, you still got to sit down and do the work. But yeah, I think uh, it, 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 it is a wholehearted recommendation for me uh, and, and, and you too, I, I, I believe. Yeah, I mean, we're totally just digging deep on our official Chad Owen book review. And I'm telling you, Start With Why is, I mean, you just can't go wrong reading this thing. To just to give you an idea, so I must have read this what? five, seven years ago today, I was with a client, it's a large media company here in Australia, and we're working on seven really quite radical products. And with all of the teams that are building and working on these businesses and products, much of the time I was like, that problem sounds good, but let's ask why this business, why this product, it really exists and how can we make the mission bigger? So I was like totally unintentional, but just Simon Sinek was just pouring out of me. And that's how powerful the book is. I mean, I've read a ton of books since then, all to do with building product, all about innovation, and I'm still going back. It is such a simple framework. I mean, it is impossible to forget and it can really light a big fire. So I think Start With Why by Simon Sinek, top 10. And not far off it is Leaders Eat Last, Why Some Teams Pull Together and Others Don't. And this one, uh, you, you, told, you told your little vignette from the book, the, the one thing that has stuck in my mind, and this was, I believe it was, correct me if I'm wrong, Chad, he tells the story of the Marines and how they do breakfast, lunch, and dinner. Was it the Marines? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. At, at yeah, the yeah, yeah. So yeah. check this out. So he tells the story of, you know, this is like kind of this elite army force. It's the U.S. Marines. But when they get to the mess hall for lunch, it's actually the young cadets that actually get to eat first and the most senior Marines eat last. And I'm like, oh, that doesn't sound like the, how the army would work. And he goes on to explain, obviously, that the Marines are in like the front line of the most intense, most mission critical jobs. And the essence to everything sticking together as a team is that the youngest, the least experienced Marines know that they have the protection, the coverage from the elder statesmen in the Marines. Mm -hmm. And this is the core practice they do to enforce that every time they eat, they know someone's got their back. And I was just like, oh, gosh. Because so much of corporate life is hierarchical and the boss has the corner office and the best car spot. No, 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 no. It shouldn't be like that at all. And it is such a powerful reminder. 
uh, that we can look around us and find inspiration for how leadership really looks and feels. So that's why I loved Leaders Eat Last. Both books, Chad, recommended reading from the Moonshots podcast. Yeah, and they're they're short reads. Yeah. Uh, you know, relative to to some of the other books uh, that have been written by people we've profiled on the podcast. And he's just a great storyteller. You know, it's not the dry, boring case studies that you might get in some other business books. Yes. They're they're very they're very memorable and in in great real world applications and, and examples of what he's mm. what he's talking about. And the the clips in this last half of, of the show are I think the culmination and combination of, of both books and, and how that's formulated Simon's views and advice on, on leadership. And so first, we can just get kind of an overview uh, from him on, on how and why it's important to lead in a new way. One of the great things that is lacking in most of our companies is that they are not teaching us how to lead. And leadership is a skill like any other. It is a practicable, learnable skill. And it is something that you work on. It's like a muscle. If you practice it all the days, uh, you will get good at it and you will get, become a strong leader. If you stop practicing, you will become a weak leader. Like parenting, everyone has the capacity to be a parent. Doesn't mean everybody wants to be a parent and doesn't mean everybody should be a parent. Leadership is the same. We all have the capacity to be a leader. Doesn't mean everybody should be a leader. And it doesn't mean everybody wants to be a leader. And the reason is because it comes at great personal sacrifice. Remember, you're not in charge. You're responsible for those in your charge. That means things like when everything goes right, you have to give away all the credit. And when everything goes wrong, you have to take all the responsibility. That sucks, right? It's things like staying late to show somebody what to do. It's things like when something does actually break, when something goes wrong, instead of yelling and screaming and taking over, you say, try again. When the overwhelming pressures are not on them, the overwhelming pressures are on us. At the end of the day, great leaders are not responsible for the job. They're responsible for the people who are responsible for the job. So, Chad, for me, the line in that that is just punching me in the face is that when we think about leadership, you are not in charge. You have to care for the people in your charge and putting them before yourself. It's, it's almost contradictory to the modern picture of any sort of leader and any, any sort of political business sport like so much it's about the hero leader isn't it and very little of it is about the servant leader those that put others before themselves i I love this idea that you're not in charge you have to take care of the people in your charge yeah i i think his view of leadership is so antithetical that i think a lot of people read and listen to him and just outright dismiss him. <laughs> you really think that they dismiss him because he's so good yeah. at telling a story. It, it, well, it's I, his view is just like so antithetical to how they yeah. see themselves. Like I see this rejection of this idea of the servant leader so mm. much. I mean, I, I I'm I'm right there with you, Mike. But I think we still have a long ways to go to fully fully mm. incorporate it. And I think. Maybe one thing that 
I'm not doing very well right now is that thing around giving away the credit and taking the full responsibility. Yeah. And I think being a being better at consistently you know give, giving the the, mm. the feedback and the praise and taking more full ownership. I think that's something that that everyone in every organization can can do and I think it will it will lead to 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 better teams. He really does you're really onto something there. I mean, he really points out this key moment and it's where you feel the full weight of leadership where he's like so when everything's going really, really well, you can't take any of the credit. And when things are going really, really bad, you got to take all the fault. And then you're like, ugh, that is so what it's about. And it's so hard to do because it's just like tough, tough, tough stuff. Yeah. Well, and, and actually, I, I, here's an interesting example. So I, maybe I was a little too hard on myself. Um, <laughs> I, yeah, so I, I was producing a project for a, uh, an overseas client. And you know, they needed four different shoots across two days in four locations in North and South California. Oof, that already sounds um, tough, to be honest, Jen. You just and I'm like, oh, <laughs> better you than me. <sighs> well, so you know, I made it happen, and the the client was, but I wasn't on the ground um, for all of it. You know, I can't be in two places at once. So, <laughs> you know, we we uploaded all the the footage and clips, and the client was reviewing it, and I got this great short email from the client of like, this is nothing short or spectacular. You know, all of our previous, you know, companies that we worked with in the US like haven't delivered the same results. And that made me feel good. And then like I could have just simply responded and been like, yeah, you know, of course, this is what what I do. But then I was like, oh, you know what? Actually this would be best if I sent it to my to my producers that, and shooters that were like there on the ground and, there and you my go. and yeah. you know my my collaborators. I was like, oh okay. So then I just copied and pasted what the client wrote and just sent it to my team. And was like, thanks everyone. You know, the client's thrilled. It doesn't sound like a whole lot, but they all responded and said, thanks. Like, we're so glad that, that it turned out that way. Uh, that's like, oh, that's okay. a great story. That's what yeah. Simon's talking about. Yeah. There you go. Simon. This happened yesterday. It literally happened yesterday. Oh, wow, man. That's super. That's really super. Yeah. I look, just unlock, just get the two books, read them. There's so much in, in, in this. And look, building on this idea of you know, putting others before yourself is really this path to leadership. The other thing that, that Simon Sinek brings to us really well is that in that day-to-day action, there's a lot of these sort of interactions between people and what we sometimes forget is that these are all chances to build trust in, between two people in a relationship. And he's got some mm-hmm. great thinking on that. So let's listen to Simon Sinek talking about how to establish trust when you're building a relationship. Trust is the result of something. You can't tell people, trust me. Um, uh, trust cannot be formed overnight, just as you can't go on one date and decide if you want to marry someone. I mean, it doesn't, you know, you might, you might have lust, you know, you, um, but there's no real trust. Um, the best definition of love I ever heard is, is, is that you can give someone the power to destroy you and trust that they won't use it, you know, and that's kind of what trust is. It's this deep love. 
And it comes over, um, over time and it comes from taking lots of little risks, you know, exposing yourself to more danger, making yourself feel more vulnerable, sharing something personal, putting yourself in a position where you have to turn your back and hope somebody won't stab you or steal your stuff. I mean, this is what trust is. It is the result of, um, you making someone feel safe and them making you feel safe. And it's that dance, you know, that's what it, it can't be one-sided, you know? And it's, again, it's like, it's like dating. It's like getting to know someone. It's like making friends. It does not happen overnight. And it's a dance of give and take, give and take, give and take, give and take. And when you feel that that, some, that, that person will make you feel safe, trust will emerge. It, it's not an app. It's not a switch. It's not something you turn on. It's something that evolves. You start to feel it. And then one morning you wake up and you're like, oh my God, I totally trust that person. You're not sure exactly what happened to get you there, but you found yourself there. Yeah, I think th- this connects a lot to me to his idea of consistency. Yeah, yeah. And that it's not a grand gesture that's going to get someone to trust you. It's those, those little things every day that, that's going to build that trust you know, between, b- between you and, and the other person. Mm. And I think... Um, you know, I, I think about how we work together. I have absolute trust that all the production, all the polish on our final product will be done because some 40 episodes in over a year of recording together, almost 20,000 listens, I just know, I know you're going to get it done. I, I can totally trust it. And that's what comes from from that consistency idea. But I, I, I guess where where we should really point this towards is it only comes over time through these small moments. And what we have to be aware of is each moment is an opportunity to either build or lose trust. And my experience has been it takes it's slow and hard to build trust, but it's fast and easy to lose trust. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. And in the same way that I always wake up with clips in my inbox to, uh, (laughs) to listen to, uh, in preparation for the show. Yeah. I, that's kind of a scary idea though, Mike, like that, that trust takes a long time, but it can be broken really easy, easy. I don't know that, that, that idea is just real. It's kind of scary to me. Well, it is. And I, I think that, um, what you see is, you know, you think about great sports teams or great bands, then they never come out of nowhere. There's all this hard work. And we've talked a lot about there's no such thing as an overnight success. There's always the backstory. And when there's more mm-hmm. than one person involved, it, they've played together so much uh, on the stage as a band, on the court as a basketball team. It doesn't matter. The familiarity is there, but I'll go back to the courage. It's when you know, you just know the other guy is going to carry for you. You just know the other guy is going to be there. And you look at a, a sports team that's on fire, the quarterback, he can just throw the pass and knows the guy will get there. Mm-hmm. Or in defense, he knows that I don't have to worry about the, the guy next to me doing his job. I know he's going to do it. In fact, I know he's probably got my back too. Um, that to me is like the essence of, of trust and it's just damn hard work. But what comes of that is I think I think there's the permission, uh, at least the starting point, for you to become a leader and for people around you to look to you. And that's why I think trust is so essential, don't you, Chad? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. It, it's the showing up every day and showing others that, 
that you will sh- show up for them and mm. and and be there for them mm. or you know or or have their back yeah it i mean it, it's very interesting how all of these ideas are very interrelated you know that 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 it's like the work of a leader is actually a, a trust building yeah t- yeah. task yeah. or project and there's and 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 simon speaks a lot about the difference between authority right versus leadership and actually this next clip goes right to the heart of this uh he's got this really powerful thought so let's have a listen to simon sinek talking about managing around you by turning all the people around you from followers into leaders themselves i'm learning to manage teams by allowing the teams to do more themselves um there's a um brilliant leader by the name of David Marquet, who wrote a book called Turn the Ship Around. And he had an experience as a submarine captain on the USS Santa Fe, where he realized that as much as he knew about submarining, you know, he'd been a submariner his whole career, um, that put on this new submarine, he learned the hard way that he actually didn't know how the submarine worked. He, 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 uh, he made an order that nobody knew how to do it because there was, that didn't exist on that sub. And so he realized he had no choice but to trust his people. And he went through this transformation as a leader of telling everybody what to do to allowing people to tell him what should be done. Um, and I've, I've learned a lot from him and I highly recommend his book. Um, and uh, and I, I've, I've really learned that, which is, you know, at the top of the organization, uh, as David says, the people have all the authority and the leaders have all the authority, but at the bottom, they have all the context, right? And so you can't just push all the context up. You have to push the authority down. Um, and so the responsibility of leadership is to train people, make sure that they have the skill set, help build their confidence that, that they have the confidence to do what needs to be done. Yeah. They have to have competence and confidence. Right. And that's, that's your job. That's the only job of the leader. Make sure, it's like, like a parent. Mm-hmm. Make sure they have competence and confidence. You know, make sure your kids get schooling and make sure that they believe in themselves. And then leave them. You know? And so I've, I've done the same thing. Instead of sort of showing people how I would do it, I, I want them to learn how it's done you know, and feel good about themselves. And then just however they do it is how they do it, Yeah. you know? Um, and the result is remarkable. Um, people feel better about coming to work. They feel like they have something to contribute. They feel more valuable as opposed to just being told, this is how I would do it, or I'm going to do it this way um, or do it my way. Um, so yeah, um, completely changing my understanding of my job as um, more like a parent than a manager has had remarkable impact. Hmm. This, this clip really, as we've listened to, I think maybe nine, nine clips so far, there's this idea of like, just not being different people right? when we're at work. And, you know, I, I love how he draws on the military or the, the, the best parts yeah. <laughs> of, of the military and, 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 uh, you know, when he's, when he's tr- trying to learn about leadership. And parenting, like how, how different is <laughs> the military and parenting? But he's like, look, it, you know, there's a lot to be learned f- from both. But I think if I had to boil down a lot of what he's saying is like, don't, don't try to be a different person or different people at, at work mm-hmm. than w- when you're going through, going through your daily lives. Because like, yeah, it's like, yeah, I don't go home and be like, well, you know, I'm the authority and I have all the control over like this. <laughs> like, 
my wife would not stand for that, <laughs> nor would my dog. Because let's be real, the dog is is the real boss. Uh, <laughs> but <laughs> I think we both realize we're at the bottom of the pecking order at home. <laughs> We've come to to acknowledge and accept this reality. <laughs> Yeah. But yeah, th- this idea of like inverting the pyramid, so to speak, uh, of right. leadership is really fascinating to me. It is. It is because because it is contrarian. and But there's some underlying authenticity. Just be yourself, put others before yourself, and don't just be consumed with what you do, but think about how and why you do it and just be a little bit more self-aware and tune into the, to the things around you. And I just love this idea of empowering those around you so that, you know, they can really go into the best version of themselves. And I think that's, that is like such a great management tip. And we've, we've all run into the worst bosses ever and you can spot the phonies a mile away and managers that kind of choke the life out of you. Yeah. The life's too short to, to be around those. And I think, they're, they're getting you to do things for them. Right. That's kind of their whole worldview. Instead of them doing things for you so that you can do the things that you are meant to do. Right, 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 right. That is like Simon Sinek is violently agreeing with us right here. But we've got one more thought, Chad, and this is the essence of this uh, latter book, uh, Leaders Eat Last. And, oh, my gosh, have I committed the crime of trying to be the first one to speak in a meeting so many times. Oh, bad Mike, bad Mike. So um, let's get ready for our last clip, but it's certainly not least. This is Simon Sinek speaking on why you should always be the last to speak. If you agree with somebody, don't nod yes. If you disagree with somebody, don't nod no. You will be told your whole life that you need to learn to listen. I would say that you need to learn to be the last to speak. I see it in boardrooms every day of the week. Even people who consider themselves good leaders, who may actually be decent leaders, will walk into a room and say, here's the problem, here's what I think, but I'm interested in your opinion, let's go around the room. It's too late. The skill to hold your opinions to yourself until everyone has spoken does two things. One, it gives everybody else the feeling that they have been heard. It gives everyone else the ability to feel that they have contributed. And two, you get the benefit of hearing what everybody else has to think before you render your opinion. The skill is really to keep your opinions to yourself. Simply sit there, take it all in, and the only thing you're allowed to do is ask questions so that you can understand what they mean and why they have the opinion that they have. You must understand from where they are speaking, why they have the opinion they have, not just what they are saying. And at the end, you will get your turn. It sounds easy. It's not. Practice being the last to speak. (laughs) Inspiring music aside, um, A corollary that I will add to this, and this is something that you can start doing mm. today, is you can self-nominate yourself as, as a bit of a facilitator, or you can ask someone to do this, but just be sure that every person is called. So just start with 
the person sitting, let's say, to the right of the so the, the so called boss in the in the meeting or highest paid person or hippo as it's often called, mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. and be sure that every single person and just go around the room and say, okay, it's your turn, your turn, your turn, and then at the end you'll get to the the boss. And I, mm. I again, I know that sounds kind of juvenile, like something that we did in in elementary school, but. <laughs> It ensures that not only are we the leaders or the last to speak, it's also giving everyone a voice, which I think is is also really important, a, a really important takeaway uh, for, for me from from what Simon's saying here. Yeah. For, yeah. The, I think what we're learning, to build on what you're saying, I think what we're learning here is don't be selfish to think you should speak first. Hold your tongue, but it's it's this the beautiful notion of just allow others to speak, and you're giving them a gift of empowerment. But oh, by the way, you get to hear all the opinions and then speak, so you get a more informed view. You're more worldly. You have a more, a bigger spectrum on which you can understand a given problem or an opportunity, and. Whilst it's so simple, it's like, you know, allowing uh, the young cadets to eat first. While all these things can sound maybe very simple, I think in practice what, Chad, you and I are calling out is how often these things don't happen. And And it's really about Simon Sinek is reminding us of some very powerful behaviors uh, in which we can lead in which we can live a better life. Um, But this one of speaking last, this one is, poof, this one's real big. And it's so hard to do often. Mm -hmm. You're just, you're just bursting. You're like, let me, let me, let me, I gotta, I gotta say it. (laughs) It, 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 it also, if you are, if you're, you know, formulating your thoughts to jump in to speak, you're not listening to what is being said. And there's this really interesting practice for me on this podcast to be sure that I listen to you instead of, you know, thinking of what I'm going to say as a response. Yeah. You know, we have the magic of editing where we can kind of, you know, shorten the the pauses between, you know, things that you and I are saying, mm-hmm. but like mm-hmm. often people are really uncomfortable with, with, with that silence. But I think, Again, so in, in giving everyone a voice and then also being sure that you're listening I, because you're right. It's like, if you don't have that input, you don't, you're, you don't have the context. You don't have the information that you need to be able to make the decisions right. that you need to do. If you just jump right in, you, you've already kind of poisoned the water, so to speak. And then everyone's just going to go along with what you're saying and not contribute their own ideas. Yeah. And, and perhaps you might even argue those that speak the less the least in general often carry the best ideas because they're watching, mm. they're listening, they're not busy talking, mm. they're observers of the world. My gosh, Simon Sinek, look, this guy is still pretty young. He's already knocked out some pretty, oh man, he gets right up there with the likes of Jim Collins, who wrote Good to Great. You know, he's producing some pretty epic books, mm-hmm. and you know, Good news, he's got another one coming. He's finished it. So, oh, really? Yeah, 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 mm. yeah, yeah, yeah. Just when I was doing my research, I stumbled upon 
this this really lovely thing where he posted uh, he was he had his nephew and niece over at his house and they wanted to see his new book and he, he said it's only on the computer and it's this great shot of them him explaining the the book to them. Yeah, really, really great stuff. I, I honestly, um, Tim Ferriss, Four Hour Work Week, Jim Collins, Good to Great, Innovators Dilemma from from Clay. A lot of that stuff fuels me every day. Oh, what about what about the lean startup, mate? Oh, funny, you should mention that channel. Oh, do you do you think we should maybe do a show on that Eric fella? Huh? Maybe episode forty two, perhaps. <laughs> funny, you should mention that. Yes. The lean startup Eric Reese and um, wow, is that one going to be a treat? I mean, everywhere you go in the business world, it's agile this and lean that. I even saw this thing, Chad. Like someone was some lean. You know, remember Sigma Six, right? Yeah, you know that yep, old G management yeah. thing. Yeah, now there's like agile Sigma Six ninjas and stuff running around big companies. I'm like, I can't keep up with all of this stuff. But there's a reason people are into lean uh, and it's it's a rather, oh, I mean, we were doing a lot of lean stuff today uh, here in Sydney and my gosh, it's so powerful. Uh, it really, really is. So we've got like the next show is all about the lean startup. How many companies have you met, Chad, in the last five or six years who are all practicing, celebrating, and drinking the Kool-Aid on Lean Startup. The, f- the funniest thing is that my first paying client when I first moved to New York City was called Lean Startup Machine. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm not even joking. Oh, my gosh. That is going way back in the time. So how long ago was that? Eight years? Uh, seven years ago. So- Six, seven years ago. Oh, my gosh. But yeah, I mean, it was right when the, I think right around the time the book came out. Mm. And yeah, I was working for a company called Lean Startup Machine. So it's funny because it's it's partially what kind of got me on this whole innovation <laughs> train. There you go. Uh, you know, was, was, was starting to work with companies that were very in tuned with what, what Eric was, you know, his, his teachings and methodologies. Yeah. But yeah, I. Every other, pr- practically every other client and company, if they're not trying to practice and implement it, they at least know of it, are exactly, curious about exactly. it. Exactly. So what a fitting way to finish in our next show, our author series. You know, we've had Drucker, Christensen, now Cynic, and to come Eric Reese and Lean Startup. And you want to give a little tease to what might come after? I think we're going to have a special edition show, Chad. Yeah, we want to bring back some guests on the show. We have... Loved having the likes of Lauren and Gary and Brennan and, and, you know, I think we're going to go back and ask Gary to be on the show and do a bit of like a history of innovation. Right. We've got kind of some other more thematic shows, maybe not individually focused shows, but if you, the listener, have any ideas for either people or companies that you would like us to to profile, please get in touch with us. You can find everything at moonshots.io or you can email us directly at hello at moonshots.io. We love hearing from all of you from all across the globe. Mike and I were just taking a look at um, some of our statistics. Yes, come on. Uh, before we hopped on, there was some. There was some crazy stats. I mean, we should say, hey, thanks to all the listeners. We're almost hitting twenty thousand plays. Uh, from all four corners of the planet. It's ridiculous. Every continent. 
We've got listeners in Singapore, Nigeria, Australia, Canada, Brooklyn, Chicago, India. And Lady Gaga is taking the crown for the most popular show. She is on a streak, totally crushing it. Also, really, really interesting to see all the different apps people are using. Stitcher, Overcast, Apple, of course, taking first position there. And uh, yeah, just the listens are booming at the moment. You know, Angela Arendt's, uh could give the Gaga a bit of a challenge for most popular show. Very interesting, isn't it? Mm. Yeah, and after after we bring Gary back on the show, we're going to take a turn mm. to the investing world. Hear from the likes of Charlie Munger, Warren Buffett, Paul Graham, Peter Thiel, and um, I just finished a really good book uh, about Peter Thiel and uh, Gawker. Uh, and that that whole takedown was called oh. Conspiracy by Ryan Holiday. Um, yeah, so I'm that's still that's still a couple months yeah. out, but I'm like I'm really excited uh, to, to to dive in uh, and, and and do that series as well. Yeah, sorry, a, a real passion series. After that, we should tease that will be the Architect series, the Great Architects. So lots, yeah, and that'll take us that'll take us through episode fifty. Holy smoke, man! <laughs> Episode 50. And, you know, the funny thing is we just keep coming up with new amazing people to guest on the show, uh, entrepreneurs and innovators to study and learn from. It's It's been a real joy. And I, I tell you what, we have learned a lot today from Simon Sinek. So as you go about your day in Brooklyn, Chad, what, is there any uh, Simon Sinek-isms that you'll take with you? Is there one that you think you might focus on? I like this idea of listening and yeah, just letting everyone know that I've got their back. There you go. There you go. That is Oh, Mike, I can't let you go. We we haven't heard your why. <laughs> oh, okay. Well, so caveat here is mine is not near. You almost not you almost, almost, like, you almost snuck, snuck out, out of it. Um <laughs> it's not as polished as yours, so I'm feeling very inadequate about that. But let's let's here it is. Oh, it's always a work. It's always a work yeah. in progress. So, uh, okay, work-wise, you know what I do is I think I, I help people create brave new products. So, helping people uh, part is a, a big area of focus, and then the brave new products. I love it. The, the the how here, and this has been a pretty recent breakthrough for me, is I want to be very much with my team, with my clients, and with the end users of these products. I really want to uh, be sort of like this helper, this mentor, this advocate, this sort of coach to them. So it's... Mm-hmm. It's a big shift for me because I, I would say the the trap I really fell into in my early part of my career was trying to be the superstar and I've shifted into trying to make others the star and I'm more behind the scenes. So that's how I do it, sort of that coach mm-hmm. archetype. And the reason that I do all of that, would, I would say, so the idea of empowering people all of those people in that sort of, all those constituents to do great things, like to help people really do brave new products that really make a difference is really uh, it's such a rewarding journey for me. And the beauty of it is because I'm helping them so much, it's really rewarding for them. So the quid pro quo, the sort of, mm. 
you you get what you give is so big because it's brave new software in the world to do amazing things and just being on that journey with them is just so deeply satisfying for me and they seem to think it's okay too so that's why I do it all. Thank you for sharing. Bit rough. I need to copyright it a bit. <laughs> no, okay. No, you, you stated it right up front. Like you want to help others bring brave new products or create brave new products. Yeah, yeah. You, we can go back to the tape. You can you can just transcribe it. But yeah, you, you said you said it right up front. There we go. There we go. There you have so, it. You've um, got my why and Mike's why. So now it's time to find your why. Yep. Don't forget to check out Start With Why and Leaders Eat Last, both really great books. Yeah, we'll have links to them in the in the show notes and lots of great Simon Sinek-related Sinek content. So go out, make that future happen today in Brooklyn, Chad. I, on the other hand, will close my laptop leave the studio and head straight home to collapse on the bed after a rather epic day. But Simon Sinek has given me the zest to make it home. All is good in the world. Uh, I want to thank you, Chad, for everything that you shared with us today on the show. Enjoy your, your Brooklyn morning and, and what's to come. And I will wish you farewell from Sydney, Australia. Thank you to all our listeners. That is a wrap of the Moonshots podcast.